Well, if you got your Bibles, I hope you do. Uh, turn with me to the book of Romans in the New Testament, chapter 1. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, the, the verses will be on the screen, or you can just grab one in the seat back there in front of you, and you can find your way over into the New Testament. Maybe if you're a little bit new to Bible study, uh, just find the first part of the New Testament, and you'll find four books that are all named after the four guys who wrote them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then the fifth book is Acts. And then the, the sixth book is Romans. Uh, we're going to be looking in Romans chapter 1 in just a moment as I continue this series of messages about being a 3M church. Now, every four years, something happens. Uh, we all become fans of Winter Olympic Games that we normally don't care about. I mean, suddenly, we know all about uh, snowboarding half pipes and ice dancing and biathlon, which I don't know how you put skiing and shooting together, but it must have been a guy from Alabama who, you know, went north. And, 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 and of course, our, our ultimate favorite, curling. Yes, thank you. I heard that testimony back there. Curling is basically if you had a bowling lane made out of ice plus shuffleboard plus mopping. I mean, <laughs> you know, somebody got really creative with this thing. And we, and, and we, and I say we in the south, I grew up in the southeast where, I mean, we don't have snow. We, you know, it spits some snowflakes and everybody panics like it's Ice-mageddon is about to happen or the snowpocalypse. And, but we get very passionate about these people who figure skate or who go on bobsledding or who ride the skeleton, which is basically all that's going to be left of you when you get to the end of that track. Apparently, that's what it, I think it's named after. And we get very passionate about the winter games. And I ask myself this question, why? Why do we get so passionate about these? And I have figured out the answer. Video montages. I mean, that's the answer. It, it's, it, it's not like the actual competition that captures our attention because, let's face it, you don't care about alpine slalom. You're not going to go out next week and learn how to mogul ski or bobsled. What you get captured by are the montages of this 19-year-old, this 24-year-old, this 37-year-old who has trained his or whole entire life for this one moment to be at the pinnacle of their sport so that they can get to the podium. And you watch this three-minute video package put together by a network of, of them training with their dad or their mom and sacrificing their time and blisters and bruises and broken parts of their body that they wait to mend and heal up so that they can get to a place where they can compete for a couple of weeks. And, and, we get, and we get impassioned about it because we hear these stories of, of somebody from a, a, you know, a former Russian you know, country that, that lived in oppression and, 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 they, and they came out and they you know, went through all of the brutal training and, and here they are in their moment of glory or it's a, a bobsledding team from a Caribbean nation. Like, what? What are, we, what are you doing with your life? And so for a couple of weeks, we borrow their passions. 
We get excited because they're excited. I mean, we get excited because these two characters that look like they're from the Muppets or from the Hunger Games are commenting on ice skating. I mean, <laughs> you're welcome for all of those of you who got that. And we, we borrow their passions and their dreams for a couple of weeks because we want something to be excited about. And that's why I want to speak this morning about the idea of mobilizing our lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me remind you of what I've said for the last couple of weeks, that we can very easily understand the life of a church, the life of our church, with a simple one, two, three kind of exercise. Number one, we have one goal. Our one goal is to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ. And we do that because there's only two categories of people in the world. There are the lost and there are the saved. And we want to make sure that we move everybody who is lost and wandering and skeptical and cynical and looking for hope and spiritual healing, that they get saved by the work of Jesus Christ and become His disciple. And we can do this as a church family, as disciples, if we will multiply, mature, and mobilize believers. If we will commit ourselves to these very simple ideas that have these eternal consequences, we can honor God with every part of our life by multiplying the number of disciples there are in the world, by helping one another to mature in the faith, and by mobilizing ourselves so that the, there's not a corner of the earth where the gospel has not been told. With that in mind, let me read for you uh, the very beginning of the letter to the Roman church that Paul writes, Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was a descendant of David according to the flesh and was appointed to be the powerful son of God according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the Gentiles, including you who are also called by Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, loved by God, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In the beginning of all of Paul's letters that he writes that are included in the, into the New Testament, he does something that is very common in the ancient world, is very common in our world. He gives a little bit of, a, of an introduction. Right? He tells a little bit about himself. And Paul, as he writes here to the Roman church, uh, it, it gives to us seven verses that, quite honestly, uh, I could preach on and on and on and on about for hours upon hours upon hours, but we're Baptists and there's, you know, buffets to go to. Um, what you take note of, though, about Paul as he introduces himself is he calls himself a servant and an apostle and that he is set apart for the gospel of God. And Paul defines his identity by the mission of God. This is an incredible lesson that we could just, we could just ruminate on that for a while. What is it that defines your life and your identity? What is it that you derive all of your value and your worth from as a human being? What is it that you're trying to make sure that people understand about you so that, they'll, uh, so that they will find worth in you? 
Paul laid all of that aside, and instead he focused fully and completely on allowing the mission of God to define his identity in Christ. Francis DeBose, a great Southern Baptist missiologist, a guy who taught and studied missions, he said in one of his books, the church was created out of mission and for mission. That is why we exist as the church. We are created out of the mission of God, and we are created for the mission of God because the mission of God has a message that is not just helpful. He, it has a message that is essential. He says that he is set apart for the gospel of God, and then he describes this message, which was promised beforehand through the prophets and the scriptures. It was concerning the Son, Jesus Christ. He's a descendant of David, the king of Israel, that is held up as the paradigm and the paragon, the pinnacle. Wow, I alliterated that and didn't even... I'm so sorry to everybody. Um, gosh, it just comes rushing out. Um, I'm feeling a little frisky today. I am. feeling a little... Feeling a little. This might go for a while. And, and, and then he says, so he's a descendant of David, so he's got a, a royal heritage, and then he is, uh, but he's born of the flesh and appointed as the powerful Son of God by the Spirit of holiness, and he's the one who is resurrected from the dead. And, and so this, this mission has a message that is essential to us because in the incarnation of God in Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, we have everything that we need to face both our rebellious hearts and our cruel world. And in this mission that he is describing that identifies him, that gives his life meaning and hope and help, this mission has a very specified goal. And we see this goal in verse 5, where I want you to really focus in your attention with me today. It says in verse 5, through him we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the Gentiles. So let me just take that phrase to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among the Gentiles and, and just hand it to you in a couple of bite-sized portions. Because in this, if we're going to be mobilized as a church, then we need a what. What is it that we're here to do? And our what is to bring about the obedience of faith in other people's lives. It is to help people walk toward faith in Jesus. We help other people obey the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, which means we present it to them and we give it to them. We lovingly and generously are constantly serving up the message of the gospel. But it also means that we have to answer and defend our faith that there are times when people are going to have big questions. There are going to be people who they don't quite believe just yet, and they have got big questions that are worthy of our time and attention to answer and defend our positions of this is what the Bible says. That rather instead of somebody who is skeptical saying, well, I'm not so sure about, and they fill in the blank about something about Christianity, our answer should never be, well, I've always thought it that way, or it's always been my opinion, or this is the, what the guy who stands on the platform and yells real loud about Jesus always says, but instead our answer should be, no, this is what the Bible says. You have a question about the resurrection? Let me show you what the Bible says. You have a question about God's grace? Let me show you what the Bible says. You have a question about why sin is so bad and dastardly and really should be punished? Let me show you what the Bible says. 
And so we present it and we give it, we answer and we defend it, and we plead and we persuade people about it. You know, as I was visiting here this morning, one of our, one of our uh, members here, he told me that his son Tom uh, just this week is going to be in Nicaragua. And he's going to be going into a village in Nicaragua where he's going to be preaching revival services this week. And, and so, put, mark that down. Tom. Pray for Tom as he preaches the gospel in Nicaragua because he is there to plead and persuade people who don't have their faith in Christ yet to put their faith in Christ. The gospel is worthy of all of our attention. We want to bring people to obedience to the gospel because it gives life. Because what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that God, who is more holy than we can imagine, looked with compassion upon people who are more sinful than we are willing to admit, and He sent His Son to reconcile people through His sacrificial death and victorious resurrection. And we must only place our faith in His work to know God, be forgiven, and inherit eternal life. This good news of Jesus Christ is what we want to bring people to, not browbeat them about their morality, not bludgeon them with our own set of of religious rituals. We want to bring them to the hope that is found in Christ when they will repent of sin and place faith in Christ. That's our what? Our why is on behalf of of His name. It's on behalf of the name of Jesus. We bear a witness of the name of Jesus. Why? Because He is worthy. He is the only one worthy of us giving all of our life, all of our attention, all of our activity to anything, because He's worthy. I mean, think about all the things in this world that absolutely demand your allegiance and your attention that demand all of your sacrificing and your resources. Is any of it, does any of it even come close to being as worthy as Jesus? Likely not. Not your job, not your 401k, not your second house or your second mortgage or your first mortgage or the rent that's coming due or the person in your life who's demanding or the, the people in your neighborhood who have told you that it's your turn to be on the HOA board. Don't do it. Don't do it. (laughs) Do it if God calls you, but like seriously pray like that's a missionary endeavor, okay? (laughs) But, But everything in this world is not just going to vie to distract you. It is, it is not vying for your attention. It is demanding your allegiance. It is demanding your surrender to it. And Jesus is the only one who is worthy of us giving our life to. And so we have to ask ourselves both individually and as a church family, does everything we do point to the worthiness of Jesus? Is everything that we are committing our time and our attention and our resources to, does it point to the worthiness of Jesus? Because Paul tells us in one of his other letters, his second letter to the Corinthian church, he says, you and I, now that we're believers, we are ambassadors for Christ. 
So we're not ambassadors of the world trying to get God to play nice with everybody down here. We're ambassadors for Christ speaking His truth into a generation that is rebellious by nature and needs reconciliation to God so that they will not be judged for their sins. We are the ambassadors speaking on behalf of the rightful King of the universe representing His message and His interest into a world that is dark and that is bleak and that is full of tragedy. And so we are the ambassadors. So we are here to bring people to the obedience of faith. Why? Because we do it on behalf of the name of Jesus. And who? Among all the Gentiles. Now some of your translations of, of Scripture, it may say among all the nations. And it's, uh, it's equally uh, true either way. Paul is by ethnicity, he is Jewish. And he has been commissioned by Christ to take the gospel to the Gentiles, to go outside of the Hebrew people in order to take the gospel to all of them, including the people that lived in Rome. And the people that lived in Rome were going to face severe persecution because they're at the seat of power of the Roman Empire where Christianity was utterly rejected. But he said, everybody from the Romans to every other person on, the, on every corner of the planet, because unless there's somebody here today that you are by ethnicity Jewish, um, all the rest of us are Gentiles. Me, I, I'm a Gentile. And every person on the planet needs the gospel. He says, it is, we're, we want to bring about the obedience of faith to everybody who is among the Gentiles. And so that means that for you and I, there is no, there is no social barrier that is an excuse for not taking the gospel. There is no geographic barrier that is an excuse for not taking the gospel. It means that if we're going to take the gospel to all the Gentiles, you got to go big and you got to go small. You got to go small and that you got to deliver the gospel right inside your own home. You got to deliver it to kids and grandkids and nieces and nephews and brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and moms and dads. You got to go small, is that you got to deliver it to your neighbors right here in Manatee County that, that has a vast majority of our population that does not know Christ, that has not put their faith in Jesus. They might be religious, they might attend church, but for the most part, we have a, a, a pretty irreligious, a pretty kind of skeptical, functionally agnostic kind of community. And so we need to go small that we walk the gospel across the street to our neighbor. We also got to go big. Then we got to take the gospel to every corner of the earth because this is our great purpose. This last week, I, uh, I met a guy by the name of Boyd. Uh, Boyd is a guy that we, as an association of Southern Baptist churches here in Manatee County, we support financially the work that Boyd does. Now, honestly, I met Boyd. I shook Boyd's hand. I had two hours of time with him and a group of six other pastors from here in the area, but I still don't know Boyd's last name because I'm not allowed to. Boyd lives in the Amazon jungle. He is the son of missionaries. Uh, Boyd is now in his early 50s. He's a very incredibly physically fit kind of guy. The reason he is so fit is because years ago, Boyd and his wife moved to the Amazon jungle because there were not enough people there telling the Indians that live out in the Amazon jungle who Jesus is. And he said, somebody's got to go do that. And so Boyd left his job, left everything behind, and moved to the jungle. He and his wife moved to the jungle. They live with a village of, of uh, Amazonian Indians of 11,000 people. And over the course of time, many of them have come to faith in Jesus Christ. And the reason that we support Boyd 
is because a couple of years ago, his tribe of Indians that he lives with and that he has become one of spotted two other tribes of Indians that not even the country, the government of Brazil knew even existed. This is not just an unengaged, unreached people group. This is an unknown, unengaged, unreached people group. The government of Brazil still doesn't know where these Indian tribes actually live out in the jungle. Boyd doesn't know where they actually live. And so day after day after day, Boyd trains and deploys groups of eight men out of that 11,000 tribe of Indians, and they hack their way through the Amazon jungle, making trails where trails have never been made in order to get to the part of the jungle where they think that these tribes live because they know they've never heard the gospel before. And they are a part of the Gentiles that need to hear the gospel. And so we, as a group of churches, are helping to support his work. And here's what's crazy. You know what it takes to support an eight-man team of Brazilian Amazonian Indians for a year? $27,000. That supports that guy and provides food for his family while he's gone out on these missions all year long. $27,000 is all it takes to support eight guys hacking their way, John Rambo, Jason Bourne style, through the Amazon jungle to find a, a tribe of Indians who have never heard the gospel before. And this is what Boyd has committed his life to because he believes what the Scripture says, that we're supposed to take the gospel to every nation on the planet. Our great purpose is to persuade people for the purpose of God's glory that they would put their faith in Jesus and inherit eternal life. This is what Paul dedicated his life to. This is what he says in just the first seven verses of the book of Romans, which is like the magnum opus of our theological understanding of salvation in the Scriptures. This is what he says just in the introduction. I've just picked apart one part of one verse that drives us that this is what we are supposed to be, is a mobilized group of people, not sitting back, not waiting for other people to do it, not sedentary because somebody else is serving and somebody else is going and somebody else is giving, but saying, no, I'm going to do this. I'm going to walk across the street and hand the gospel to my neighbor that I've known for a decade. I'm the one who's going to sit down with my grandkids and tell them the stories that I find in the Scripture that will compel them and persuade them and help them to understand that God loves them and that God has an answer for their, their sin need in their life. I'm going to be the one that if God calls, I'm going to deploy myself out to some other part of the world because God is worthy of all of my life and my retirement and my comfort and my coastal living and all of these things are great and wonderful and if you're called to stay here, stay here. But if you're called to go there, go there. That was a really good place for a giant amen. <laughs> I know. I believe this. You can tell it. I'm passionate about this. I'm passionate about the way that we serve. And, and so I want to just hand to you this morning five mobilizing actions that we as a church have been taking for much of our storied history that we are taking right now 
and that we need to continue to take into the future, then I just want you to absolutely lean in with all of your heart too. Here's five actions that we can take. Number one is personal witnessing. Let me just say, if, you, if we don't do number one, numbers two, three, four, and five really don't count. If, if we can't do number one, I don't know that the rest means a whole lot. Because personal witnessing means I'm going to understand the gospel and I'm going to carry the gospel. I'm going to talk about the gospel. I'm going to present the gospel. That doesn't mean you have to, you have to you know, memorize a particular outline or you have to carry a track in your, in your hip pocket. It, it just means that, that maybe you memorize an outline, maybe you carry around a track with you, but you are willing that when the opportunity arises, and they arise often, that you will speak well of Christ and you will speak well of His salvation and that you will give a testimony about how his salvation has transformed your life and completely changed your eternal destiny, and that you will hand that knowledge to somebody else who is in need of salvation and forgiveness and eternal life. We've got to know and share the gospel. Secondly, is that there's got to be sacrificial going. Any kind of going that we do as a church is always going to demand sacrifice. I was reminded of that even this week when we got this incredible, great, complimentary email from one of the staff members at Ballard Elementary School that is just like a mile away from here. That this week, some of our members went. They did some going. And on a, on a school night for a literacy program, they went and they served as the volunteers in order to serve the community here to represent the grace of God that is found when people allow the gospel to transform their lives. They were willing to go. They were willing to get over there and do something about it. Francis DuBose, again, I'll quote him, he says, sending not only reflects the nature of God and reveals the purposes of God, but it also demonstrates the method of God. You see, God sent His Son so that we could have salvation. And then God has a purpose that He wants us to be a sending people as a church so that everybody can hear about salvation. And so going, it might mean walking across the courtyard and serving with the kids in children's church. This morning in children's church, they got to Skype in Chris Phillips, who is the church planter in Denver that we're financially supporting this year. And Chris Skyped in along with his oldest son, Tripp, because we've got a kid in our children's ministry who is the same age named Tripp so that they could have a little conversation together and so that our kids could hear about Chris Phillips and his four kids and how they were willing to move away from their home in Memphis, Tennessee to Denver, Colorado to plant a church in a community that doesn't have enough of a gospel witness there. And so it, your going might mean go across the courtyard and serve kids. Your going might mean going to Palm Shores Behavioral Center and helping to lead a Bible study during the week. Your going might mean going across the road down the street to somebody who is alone and who is frightened and who is scared and doesn't have Christ. Your going might mean that you hear about a church plant in another city in the country or another place in the world and that you're supposed to go and help with that work. Your going might mean that in this season of life, when you got a lot of time left, spare time left, your going might be it's time for you to become a full-time missionary. That might be what your going is. 
And we've got to commit that just as God sent people here so that we could hear the gospel, or wherever your here was, when you got to hear the gospel for the first time, that you're going to be one of those people that you also go. Thirdly, financial giving. The gospel travels freely from mouth to ear, but people do not travel freely on airplanes and in cars. We've got to be willing to sacrifice financially as well in order to fund the mission mechanism of the world. The vast majority of money that funds the mission agencies of the world comes from the United States of America. Now, we are not experiencing revival in the church in America. There is not a spiritual awakening happening in the United States of America. In fact, a lot of missiologists say that there's only two places in the world where the church is either stagnant or it is in decline, and that's the United States and Western Europe. Everywhere else, the church is exploding. In South America, in Africa, in Southeast Asia, it is exploding in other places. But we're still the, we're still the people that can bankroll all the work in the rest of the world. I sat down and did some figures this uh, week because I do crazy things like this on my whiteboard. Um, if you ever walk in my office, you'll see just a, a, just a huge array of crazy thoughts up on my whiteboard of all the dreams and ambitions and hopes of, of what we could possibly do. One of the things that I've thought about on several occasions, I've actually talked to the staff about it, is what would happen, what would we have to put in place if we as a church wanted to extend the work of church planting, which I'm going to get to in a moment. What would happen if we committed ourselves that we, over the course of the next 15 or 20 years, that we as a church were going to plant 1,000 churches? We could plant 1,000 churches. We could do it. And you know what it would take? It would take about $43 million. That's it. Would anybody like to write that check? <laughs> now, I mean, 43, you think, oh my goodness, $43 million. Holy cow. Like, that's a, that's a, that is a lot of cheddar. That is a lot. But come on. It's, it's completely possible. It's completely doable. It's com completely, I mean, that could happen among Christians in America I mean, given all of the resources that we have nationwide, given all the resources that are in our county? I mean, does it seem like a big goal? Absolutely. Big, hairy, audacious goal. Big, big. But what about just every week? Am I willing to financially invest into the work of the kingdom of God so that a guy like Tommy Park, who is planting a church in downtown Miami, that he can have a salary and that ministry needs can be taken care of. Yes, we're willing to do that. Are we willing to financially invest in a pastor like Izzat, who is born in Egypt, lives in Jordan, and now ministers to Iraqi refugees? Yes, we're going to do that. Are we willing to invest in ministries and in mission agencies through the cooperative program in our church, in mission agencies, North American Mission Board, International Mission Board, things like the Florida Baptist Children's Home, in order to provide care and comfort and, and, and the gospel? Absolutely. We have got to be the people that we are regular and generous givers through the church of Jesus Christ. Number four, here's a fourth mobilizing action, compassionately serving. We need to be the people who serve kids and families and refugees and the lost and the hurting and the addicted. 
that we can compassionately serve. You know, I, I mentioned this email from the staff member at Ballard Elementary School. Uh, she said, uh, she sent the email to John Gregory, our associate pastor who led that work, and she said, you guys have been such a blessing to the families that have their children enrolled at Ballard Elementary School, and she said, I want to thank you for continuing to be salt and light in our community, just because we were willing to go and serve. What that tells me is that there's not a whole lot of salt and light anywhere. Is that you and I, we are the salt and light. And if we don't show up, the salt and light doesn't show up. And so we need to be willing to compassionately serve around the world uh, to everybody. Because around the world and in our community, there's only two kind of people that we're going to encounter. We're going to encounter neighbors and enemies. And in the Bible, Jesus said from his lips to love both of them. On two different occasions, he said, love your neighbors, and he said, and love your enemies. So there's nobody that's supposed to fall outside of our desire to love people and to serve people and to show compassion for people. And so we need to personally witness and sacrificially go and financially give and compassionately serve. And then number five, we need to, we need to be a church planting church. Now I get it. it, it feels like there's churches everywhere when you live somewhere like this. I mean, growing up in Birmingham, Alabama, you know, between my house that I lived at at 445 Camellia Road and the church that I attended, Roebuck Park Baptist Church, which was at 216 Roebuck Drive, in between my house and that church, we passed by half a dozen churches on the way. And so we passed by the Nazarene Church and the Methodist Church and the Presbyterian Church and another Baptist Church and then another Baptist Church because Baptists like to plant churches or Baptists like to split churches. And, and so... We kept doing that. In the history of our church, we have planted numerous churches. We've got not just daughter churches, we also have granddaughter churches right here in our county. West Bradenton Baptist Church was planted by First Baptist Church, and then West Bradenton Baptist Church planted Northwest Baptist Church. And so we have this heritage and this legacy, and there's no reason for us to slow down at this point. But instead, we can continue to plant more and more churches. We can do it in the east part of the county, where in the next decade, there's going to be another 50,000 or more people that are going to live there because people are going to sell their horse farms, and they're going to develop neighborhoods out there. We can do it in Miami with Tommy Park in downtown, where you've got all of these creatures of the night who live in downtown Miami that don't know Christ yet. We can do it in Denver, Colorado. Colorado, where there is kind of not a, a community and building a community there in Stapleton, where Chris Phillips is, which by the way, in a couple weeks, Chris is going to be here to preach. It's going to be awesome. We can do it in countries like Jordan, where they just need more of the gospel, and we can do it everywhere else. Todd Phillips, a friend of mine who, uh, or Todd Wilson, his name is, uh, a friend of mine. I also have a friend named Todd Phillips, but he didn't say what I'm about to say. Uh, Todd Wilson is a guy who is a huge advocate for church planting, and he was recently speaking at a conference, and he said to the group, he said, I want to ask you two questions. He said, my first question is, what do you call an aircraft carrier that never launches a plane? He said, it's a cruise ship. And then he said, you kind of see where this is going, what do you call a church that never launches a church? Mm. It stings a little bit. I mean, we don't want to be the people that hoard the gospel, that just keep it to ourselves. We want to make sure that every person on the planet has an opportunity to hear and respond in faith to the gospel. That is the best thing that we get to do. That is the best thing that we get to do. 
It is to make sure that people hear and respond to the gospel, multiplying the number of believers so that they can mature in their faith, and then they also can be mobilized for the mission of God. This is what characterizes our life, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among the Gentiles. And if you and I find a goal in life that is anything less than lifting up the name of Jesus, then we ought to drop it immediately and move right to Jesus. Man, curling, two weeks of ridiculous fun watching people not slip on the ice, but secretly you're hoping that they do. I mean, that's, all, I mean, that's what it is. I mean, that's what it is. I mean, it's two weeks of a ridiculous amount of of silliness of watching ice dancers and bobsledders and people skiing around up and down mountains. I mean, it's it's two weeks of that. It reminds me, several years ago during the Summer Olympics, uh, there was a a gal by the name of Jenny. Uh, She was right around 30 years old. She had played for the USA women's softball team. Obviously, I have never played women's softball. Thank you. and she and and in that particular summer games the the USA softball team won the gold medal now women's softball is not like a global phenomenon kind of sport like other sports are and i remember this interview that she had after all the olympic games were over and things were done and she was being celebrated and hailed as the captain of the team and um, and so jenny was asked you know what is it that you're going to do now what is it that you're going to do with the rest of your life you know, you, you've won the gold medal, you know, for several weeks now. Uh, the world has been enraptured with the Summer Olympics, and, and, and you are the team captain. So what are you going to do with the rest of your life now? And, and her answer was chilling. She said, I want to spend the rest of my life helping people to understand just how great softball is. And I thought, what? What? A, what? What? I'm going to spend the rest of my life convincing people how great softball is? Now, you and I have not been given a uh, national platform. Nobody gave you a gold medal for whatever it is that you do as as an accountant or a mechanic or a business person or a a parent or whatever it is that you do. But functionally, a lot of us spend the rest of our lives trying to convince people that whatever we do is just so important because we need to feel important because we need their validation in our lives. And I want to tell you that Paul was a guy of incredible and extreme importance. He was a Pharisee among all the Pharisees. He had the Jewish pedigree of all pedigrees. He, had, he was politically connected, and he had authority in culture. He was a guy who could order your death. That's how much power he had. He was educated in the finest institutions. He knew more than anybody else around him. And he said, and yet, here's what I have decided, that I am somebody who is going to be a servant of Christ. I am going to be an apostle of the Lord, and I am going to have my life called and set apart for his mission because all the power and all the knowledge and all the influence and all the whatnots that I've had is simply not worth near as much as the name of Jesus being declared among the nations. And so I want to invite you today that you would commit your life along with me, because this is what I'm committing my life to. 
This is what I'm giving myself to. I, I don't want you to think, oh, the pastor's asking us to do something that he's going to sit in his cushy office chair and all the rest of us are going to go flying around the world and flying around the community. I, I want you to know that this has been that, something that I have made sure to search my own soul this week, that this is what I'm committing myself to, that we're going to take the gospel to the community and to the nation and to the nations. We're going to make sure that people have a chance to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, and that's the most important thing that we do. In one of the first Sundays that I was here, I'd probably been here, I don't know, four or five weeks, and there was this one particular occurrence that in the middle of our, um, of our week, I just remember, I can't remember if it was Beth or if it's Vilma or Judy, the three ladies who actually run our church, um, but they, they all stay so busy all the time. And it was one of those times where it's like there were actual people coming into the office that needed ministry and prayer and an opportunity to, to, to encounter somebody to, to receive grace. And, and I could just see that, that in our office that there was just kind of this churning of, well, we're not getting our real work done. Like, what's going to happen if on Sunday uh, the bulletin's not done? What's going to happen if on Sunday things are not put in their place? What's going to happen if on Sunday? And I said, you know what? I, and I told the whole staff, I said, I will gladly, happily stand on the platform at the pulpit on Sunday and say, you know what, folks? You don't have bulletins this week, and there's a really good reason why. All of our staff was too busy ministering to people about the nature of the gospel to make Xerox copies of pieces of paper for you to throw away. Now, don't throw them away. They got real important information on them. Um, because that's the stuff. That's the real stuff. When I gathered with the deacons this morning at 8.15 and we just took time to pray for you and to pray for one another and to pray for the loss in our community, that's the good stuff right there. When you took time this morning or take time this week to get together with your life group and study the Word and grow up in your faith, that's the stuff. When you take time this week to present the gospel and an invitation for a friend to come to church with you next week in order to hear about the missionary work of God toward us who are outsiders from His kingdom, that's the stuff. And so I want to invite you to commit yourself to the great work of the kingdom of God. And that might mean a first-time commitment because you've been playing church, but you've never given your heart and life to Jesus. You've never put your faith in Him. Everybody thinks that you're a Christian, and you've been fooling everybody. It's time for you to walk the aisle. It's time for you to commit your life to Christ. It's time for you to surrender your soul to the God who saves and for others of you that, that you've been a really comfortable Christian and you really like being a member of the church and you really like all the accoutrements that go with it and the nice Bible study and the fun music and the bright lights and a really uh, long-winded pastor, eh, um, I'm going to ask for you to commit yourself to the call of God, that He's calling upon you to do something with the gospel. Let's pray.